Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family, day by day and week by week. We meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person or catch our online gatherings by checking out our website at www.newgarden.church. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning and welcome back. If you've been tracking along with us this year, you know we are in the very middle of a year-long series of the Bible called Long Story Short. We've made it through the first two of the three divisions of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah and the Prophets, and today we start the Writings. Now, the Writings can seem kind of like the junk drawer of random books, but they are uh, worth reading nonetheless, and we get to start with the Psalms. Now, the Book of Psalms is a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers that come from all different periods in Israel's history. You may know that uh, many of these poems are connected with King David, 73 actually, and he was known as a poet, a harp player, um, just a, a good guy, you know. But there are many different authors behind other poems, uh, such as Asaph, the sons of Korah, even Solomon and Moses, and nearly one-third are anonymous. Now, at some point in the period after Israel's exile to Babylon, these ancient poems were gathered together and intentionally arranged into the book of Psalms that we have before us today. I think most of the time when we read a psalm, it's kind of at random, you know, like we have our favorite ones or we have ones we pull out for special occasions. And so maybe we are able to see that there is actually an overall structure that holds all of these together. So before we get into our psalms for today, very quickly, let's just paint the big picture. The book of Psalms, or as you may hear it referred to as the Psalter, don't think salt and pepper shakers, although I can't help not think of that now, uh, but Psalter with a P on the front of it. The Psalter is divided into five main sections, 1 through 41, 42 through 72, 73 through 89, 90 through 106, and 107 to 150. And if you look in your Bible at the beginning Psalms, you may notice that most of our Bibles have titled each of these sections, Book 1, Book 2, Book 3, Book 4, Book 5. Why is that? Because the editor or the compiler of the book of Psalms has intentionally structured the book, and at each of the conclusions of these sections, there's this little poetic formula This phrase that gets repeated, something like, Praise be to Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And each of the sections ends with some form of this poetic phrase. So somebody has been at work putting the book of Psalms together into five main sections. Now just think about that for a second. Can you think of any other place in the Bible where you've got five main sections of scriptures? Right, the Torah. And so what's happening here in the book of Psalms is that the book of Psalms is being offered as another Torah. And the word Torah is just the Hebrew word for teaching or instruction. This is another book of teaching. But what is it teaching? Well, We find the answer to that in the first two Psalms, which actually stand apart from book number one and serve as an introduction to the rest of the book. These first two poems focus on two themes, Torah and Messiah. 
Psalm 1 describes somebody who immerses themselves in God's Torah, in God's teaching and instruction, which is why if you look at the book of Psalms and you see five parts, this is another Torah alongside the first five books of the Bible. And if someone immerses themselves in the Torah, it describes how their life can be changed and transformed. So it raises the question, what is this person reading about in the Torah And Psalm 2 comes along and reminds us of God's promise to King David that there would be a Messiah, an anointed one, a king who would come from his line and who would bring justice and peace over all the nations. And so by these first two poems, we're introduced to the key themes of the storyline of the whole Old Testament. God revealed his teaching to his people to expose the brokenness of our hearts, but also to expose the goodness of his character and his forgiveness and his plan to rescue the world through the anointed one, the Messiah. And so a lot of what the book of Psalms is doing is it's showing us what it's like to live a life of prayer and praise as we wait for the Messiah and keep ourselves immersed in the reading of the Torah. And so today, we're going to camp out in Psalm 1 and 2 and let their words remind us of these important truths of Torah, of teaching, and of the Messiah. And one of the reasons I want to do this today is because if you're watching this live the morning of, our country is celebrating July 4th, a day where we shoot off fireworks and talk about independence and how great our country is. It has now been 245 years since the Founding Fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. And it wasn't about fireworks and watermelon eating contests. It was a political move away from this guy, King George III. King George was born in 1738, and he became king in 1760. And so when the American colonies take up their stand in 1776, he's 38 years old. That's how old I am. I can't imagine being king and going through that. But they write these 27 grievances against him in their Declaration of Independence. And each year, our country remembers and celebrates this occasion and these founding fathers who devise a new system of government with three equal branches. There will be no more king. There will now be a democracy. And we grow up listening to our history teachers give us this story. And sometimes we can be influenced to believe that this is the best form of government possible. But I have to push back a little bit on that. I love our country. And the goal of this lesson is not to be anti-American, but at the same time, we need to see everything through the lens of Scripture, which means we actually need to read our Bibles and find out what is true. So how many times does the word democracy show up in the Bible? Yeah, zero. Yeah, you figured that out. But another word that shows up over and over and over is the word kingdom. The Bible says very clearly that the most perfect form of government is not a democracy. It is not a republic. It is a kingdom. That's a big theme in the Bible. The best form of government is a monarchy. But there's a hitch in that because the best form of government, the perfect form of government, depends on the fact that you would have a perfect monarch, a perfect king. That's the hitch right there because those people, they don't exist Like we've read through half of our Bible already, and we have yet to find a human king that fits the picture of someone who is truly just, truly righteous, blameless, wise in all their decisions. But Psalm 1 and 2 are going to give us a description of what that king will be like. So before we jump on the bandwagon that that America is God's gift to the world and the answer to all the world's problems, 
Perhaps it would be wise to look at Scripture and see that God has already provided us a path to life and given us a leader to look to for our safety and our security. So with all that in mind, let's begin with Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of Yahweh, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So right at the onset in the intro to the whole Psalter, the author is talking about two paths, two very different paths, two different ways of life, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. So we need to define our terms. If we look at the rest of the Psalms and the rest of the Old Testament, you get a sense of how people relate to God and how they relate to others about relationship. And they're either wicked or they're righteous. So you can break them down like this. When you speak about the wicked, you could say they are the community of people who oppress others for self-benefit. They disadvantage others in order to advantage themselves. They oppose God's wisdom. They are foolish, arrogant, and oppressive. The righteous, however, are the community of people who fear Yahweh and delight in His Word. They advantage the broader community even at the disadvantage of themselves. They seek God's wisdom. They are wise, humble, and self-sacrificing. So you have two ways of living, wicked and righteous. And the embedded question in Psalm 1 is, which path will you choose? Which way of life will you choose? Now, obviously, the author has a strong opinion about which path is best, and he makes his case. He says it, it's pretty clear, right? I mean, one path is blessed. Everything prospers. One path leads to destruction. Now, he could have made those like bullet points and left it at that, but this is not a business presentation at some like law firm. This is poetry. It's not just about thinking. It's about evoking emotion through imagery and metaphor. So let's take a moment and let's try to use our imagination and feel what the author is saying. So if you'll do me a favor, close your eyes and imagine a tree. A tall, strong tree surrounded by green grass, and next to the tree is a river of flowing water. This tree is thick and established. It has a large canopy of leaves that provide ample shade. And now imagine its roots. They go deep underground, stretching wide in all directions. And the water from the river wets the soil so that the tree has a continual source of life and water. This tree is strong and grounded. It is alive and flourishing. This is the way of the righteous. Now imagine a cornfield in the fall. The harvest is over. All that's left is dried up corn stalks. It hasn't rained in weeks, and the late summer sun has baked the ground relentlessly. Pieces of the stalk crackle and turn to dust with the slightest pressure. The wind blows through and picks up loose leaves and blows them through the air before they land back on the dry, crusted ground. This is the way of the wicked. Okay, open your eyes. So which path will you choose? A tree or chaff? The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? And this may not seem like a very hard choice to us. Like, of course, 
We want the better path, but it takes some work to get on and stay on that path. I mean, listen to the poetic way the writer describes how you end up in the camp of the wicked. First, you happen to be walking and you hear the advice or the counsel of the wicked. Maybe you're just living your life, but the people surrounding you are having an influence on you. Then you stand in the path of the sinners. So you stop moving and now you are standing and your location is directly where sinners are. So it's not just wicked people who are living as if there's no God. These people are sinners. It's like they know what they should do and they're choosing not to do it. And you are placing yourself in their direct path. The next step downward is sitting with the scoffers. You're not moving anymore. You're not standing. You have firmly established your location at the table with people who are not only wicked or sinners, but they actually promote a lifestyle that is contrary to the way of life. And they make fun of people who live that way. The psalmist would say, this is the path that leads to destruction. This is the path that leads to non-life, to chaff of being blown away by the wind. But there is another path, uh, another direction you can take, and it has activity to it as well. The the first path is almost, the first section is almost like a person who is uh, having less and less activity. They're walking, they're standing, and then they're sitting. But the opposite is true of the person who is blessed because they are delighting in the law of Yahweh. They delight in the Torah. Again, the the wicked, it focuses on the external of what you are doing. But the blessed one, it is this internal revelation of knowing Yahweh and loving what he has to say from the inside out, that your life shows what you feel on the inside, and you meditate on that day and night. You cannot get enough of it. That person is like a tree that's firmly grounded, and the result is Yahweh is going to watch over the way of the righteous. Now, for many of us, I don't think that we actively choose the way of the wicked, right? And for many of us, I think that the first step that we take in that direction is we want to be a tree. We want to be firmly planted, firmly grounded. But we think that we can flourish on our own without the living streams of water, of the Word of God flowing into our lives to give us that life from the inside out. I think many of us think we can just do it all on our own. And God, I think, is reminding us, no, it it takes an active lifestyle of delighting in God's instruction and meditating on it and living it out. And so Psalm number one comes and reminds us that the blessed person is the one who delights in the instruction and the teaching of Yahweh. Psalm 2 then takes a kind of a global view and zooms back and in a poetic way is going to describe four scenes or four acts which we're going to walk through. Scene number one, verses one through three. You have the nations, the the rulers of this world on earth. And they say, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And so the poet is giving you a picture of these earthly kings who say, we don't want to live the way Yahweh instructs us to. And so they, they stand together and revolt against Yahweh in heaven. And so you, the question is, is well, how is Yahweh going to react? Well, you see the next scene in verse 4. It says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. 
The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And so in the first scene, you've got these kings standing and and pacing around trying to devise plans. And what is Yahweh doing? He is not pacing back and forth. He is sitting on his throne, calm, laughing at what they are planning. But not just laughing, he has a plan to kind of rebuke their plans. And that is, is he's going to install his king. He has an authority figure, an anointed one that is going to rule. And that is who speaks in the next act. In verse 7, the anointed one says, I will proclaim Yahweh's decree. And this is what Yahweh has to say. He, Yahweh, said to me, the anointed one, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And so the anointed one gives us Yahweh's decree that this Messiah is going to be king. And his work is easy. It's like clay pots and he has a baseball bat and he's just smashing them. It's no problem. He has the authority and the power to do these things. And so uh, God, Yahweh, is sending this anointed one. And so the the narrator kind of zooms back out at the very end and gives some advice starting in verse 10. He says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so the narrator gives advice and says, listen, if you want to be wise, if you want a good plan, you need to submit to Yahweh. Submit his king and be joyful about it. Um, Be happy in Yahweh's plans because blessed are those who take refuge in him. And Psalm 1 and 2, they have a few connections. If you remember, Psalm 1 starts with the idea of blessed. Blessed is the one who, and Psalm 2 ends with blessed are those who. And so you have this connection of blessed in Psalm 1, you have the, the person meditating on God's Word. And in Psalm 2, you have these kings uh, meditating, conspiring, figuring things out. So they're doing the opposite of what you're supposed to do in Psalm 1. And so the question that we are left with in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 is really what all the Psalms are about. Are we going to be people of the Word? Are we going to listen and meditate on God's instruction? And are we going to be people who submit to the anointed one, to God's Messiah. Um, We now know that to be Jesus, that Jesus came as the Son of God, the King over heaven and earth, but He did not come the way we might expect Him to come, victorious, uh, riding on a white horse, slaying His enemies. He came as a suffering servant. He lived out the kingdom message, the kingdom Torah and instruction of loving your neighbor and serving and helping and giving His life ultimately on the cross. And then God made him victorious over death by resurrecting him from the dead. And each week we come to a table and we remember this act. We remember who is Lord, who is King. And each week we take a piece of bread and we take a cup and we remember the victory that Jesus had over death and over sin. And we take a bread and we take the cup and we remember that He is King and that He is Lord. We recommit ourselves to studying His Word and living under His reign. So today, 
as we go to the table. Uh, despite all that is happening in our world today, despite any country that says, you know, we're the best, let us remember that Jesus is King. Let's go to the table. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.